Hello and welcome to the Feminist Law Podcast. I'm your co-host, Courtney Jones, a recent law graduate and incoming postgraduate student in law. And I'm your co-host, Clara Tokul, a recent law graduate and incoming trainee solicitor. We're both co-founders of the Feminist Law Project and passionate about the intersections of law and feminism. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Anna Nelson, Teaching Associate in Medical and Criminal Law at the Centre for Social Ethics and Policy at the University of Manchester. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, um, I'm Anna, my pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm a teaching associate, as you said, um, for two more days. Um, and I also do a fair bit of kind of research assistant work ad hoc. Um, my main interests are in childbirth and the law and reproductive technology and the law. Fantastic. And that's what we'll focus on um, in today's interview anyway. So that's that's brilliant. Um, and I'm wondering, what made you decide to teach medical and criminal law specifically? Yeah, so I teach medical law because that's my sort of area of expertise. I did a master's and a PhD in that, which I will admit I sort of just stumbled into, but that's how I came came to teach that. And I think it's a really exciting thing to teach because there's something for everyone. We kind of all have health, we're all born, we all die. So I, I think that kind of it's inherently interesting. Um, criminal law very much just fell into it. I got a job as a graduate teaching associate teaching assistant, I lose track of what the terms are, but a teaching assistant at Manchester um, and was given that. Um, so very much just sort of fell into teaching that. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. Um, so you previously mentioned that childbirth um, is one of your main areas of focus and of interests. Um, and so in 2021, as well slowly emerged from the COVID-19 pandemic, um, you released an article titled Vaginal Examinations During Childbirth, Consent, Coercion and COVID-19. Um, and in, within this fascinating article, which I read the other day, you examine the intersection between consent, um, as well as the necessity for vaginal examinations, which at times um, were actually unnecessary, as you go on to explain within the article. Um, so I'm wondering what drove you to write an article, which is obviously super interesting, um, but on such a niche, niche subject. Yeah, so to be fully and completely honest, I started thinking about the issue um, because a tweet caught my eye. And I wish I'd saved the tweet and I wish I could remember exactly what it was, but the benefit of hindsight. But I saw a tweet when someone kind of saying they'd been worried about having to have a vaginal examination. And the research I'd already been doing in my um, kind of doctoral research at that time had been looking at the gap between the law and practice when it comes to labouring women and birthing people exercising their right and their autonomy to decline um, medical interventions during labour. And I also accept that the topic is academically niche, but I think it's really interesting that there's this tendency to see these issues around childbirth as, as these niche topics when so many people give birth sort of every day. They are academically niche, but we, I think there's an interesting question about why that is. Yeah, totally. I did mean academically <laughs> niche, not niche generally. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. Um, and... Um, Kind of following on from that, I'm wondering whether you think that the COVID-19 pandemic exacerbated the amount of forced or coerced vaginal examinations, um, specifically on NHS wards, which is what you focus on in the article, um, which otherwise would have not happened. Um, because when I was reading my, the article, I kind of went into it with the assumption that actually because people were so limited from accessing NHS facilities during the covid pandemic I actually anticipated kind of the opposite trend um, and not necessarily an increase in um, coerced or coercive um, vaginal examination so could you please um, shed some light on that? 
Yeah, of course. And I think that you've picked up on something that's really critical to all of the, or most of the stuff around childbirth and COVID. I've done some stuff on home birth as well, um, which is that it exacerbated existing problems. It didn't sort of, created lots of weird and wonderful problems in the world, but these kind of consent-based problems and maternity problems were an ex exacerbation. That's not a word, but we'll go with it. They exacerbated existing issues. I think what happened during COVID-19, and I think we need to be really careful to, and I have to catch myself to be really careful to do this as well, is to recognise that actually policies were brought in at a time when we didn't understand the virus. We didn't know how it spread. We didn't know how deadly it was. We didn't have vaccines. So there was this huge sort of fear underpinning everything. And that fear led an understandable drive to sort of minimize who was in hospital when they were in hospital keep them out of hospital keep anyone unnecessary out of hospital till the really last minute and vaginal examinations are used and have always been used as a kind of gatekeeper so when gatekeeping became more important and more kind of broadly important though we saw this uptick in the use of vaginal exams and i think it might be helpful um, you can tell me if it's not, but I think it might be helpful just to really briefly explain what kind of happened with vaginal exams and why they became used and why this problem got worse. Because it wasn't that there was a policy that was brought in that said, right, that's it. Everyone has to have a vaginal exam. That would be plainly unlawful. What it was, was there was a, a ratcheting up of, of limitations on birth partners and what that came to be was only in established labour will your birth partner be allowed to join you. Now having a birth partner with you is so important to so many people and so there was that policy that came in that was a kind of Covid policy or a Covid ratcheted up policy and that intersected with existing protocols that just said well how we check for established labour is that we generally perform a vaginal exam. So it, they came together so part of what I think was happening was that during Covid particularly the start, poly new policies were being made really rapidly within this kind of vacuum of evidence. And there just wasn't that oversight of someone being like, wait a minute, we've got these two things. And if we combine these two things, we're gonna have this bad outcome. And I think all of that stuff sort of mixed together to accidentally create a situation in which there was an increased risk of coercion and to having a vaginal examination. Sorry, that was a long answer, but it's a bit of a kind of complicated thing with moving parts. No, thank you very much for that explanation. And you're right. I think uh, I'd never thought of it in that way. And I think, yeah, it's almost a kind of very unfortunate coincidence of events, essentially, um, that contributed to increased vaginal examinations, which were not necessarily necessary. Um, but as you said, it was the policies that were brought in during COVID in such a rush um, and no one really had the time to think and stop and realise that actually they were not that necessary and maybe um, incompatible, you know, one with the other. Um, and that leads me very nicely onto my next point. Um, so in your article, um, you explain, and I quote, that some birthing people believed that if they wanted admission to the labour ward, which was necessary to enable their birthing partner to join them in hospital, they had to consent to a VE, which was a vaginal examination, as this was the only way of confirming labour, end quote. Um, so, I suppose we have already kind of touched on that, but why do you think some birthing people were in this way misled 
um, to believe that vaginal examinations were necessary to establish pregnancy? Largely, I think it all just reflects a lack of time, which ties into a lack of resources, which ties into a much bigger issue that we know exists um, across the NHS, but really particularly in um, maternity services. But that's a lack of time that sort of manifests in a number of ways. So a lack of time to make sure that staff working on maternity wards understood the intention behind the protocols. Because if staff had really understood what it was about, maybe they could have just said, well, like if that woman is re or birthing person's really far along, really pushing, then they are in sufficiently established labour. So there might be this lack of time to explain to the staff what the protocols were, what the policies really meant, a lack of time to explain to women and birthing people what their options are. So I think, and I, I haven't done kind of research to back this up, but I do have spoken to midwives, birthing people, etc. And my sense is that actually a lot of the times these people would not have been forced to have a vaginal exam. If they had said, I really don't want it, a vaginal examination is almost never, if never medically necessary. So if they just said, well, I don't want it, there would have been ways to find other ways, but in a rush, in this kind of time sensitive environment, it's it's not necessarily the case that people were getting that explained properly in, in a kind of shorthand thing of, well, um, your birth partner can't join you to you on the labor ward. If you want admission to the labor ward, I just need to check you're in established labor. We do that by giving you a vaginal examination. Maybe if there'd been more time, we could have unpacked the alternatives. Um, and then the third kind of time related issue is I think that the alternative to vaginal examination is a more time consuming um, alternative, it's watching. It's watching, listening, observing what's happening to the person. Um, so there was the time issue, but then also alongside that, there was the fear issue. If, if I have to watch and wait with you, then I'm spending maybe longer with you than I need to. So I think all of that sort of came together um, to create a perfect storm for things to go wrong. And put, both midwifery staff and women and birthing people in a really tricky situation. I think it's important to recognise that kind of both sides of this were stuck within a really tricky, tricky situation. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It is definitely a perfect storm for everything to go wrong. Um, I do find it still quite surprising in a way um, that obviously, as you said, policies were being made very rapidly. Obviously, birthing people when you're pregnant um, you can't really stop time. Um, obviously, you know, you need to do checks as and when. But I find it very surprising that no one, especially in the medical profession or policymakers, kind of stopped and thought, hold on one minute, this is a little bit wrong. Um, and I think you pick up on this really well in your article. Um, I'm going to, you know, pick up some little bits that you mentioned, but you, you talked about birth rights releasing statistics in 2020, indicating that 17.4% of birthing people felt forced to have a VE. Um, and also 82% of people said they felt this was necessary to be reunited with their partners. So it's almost some form of like undue influence or, you know, like undeniable pressure that you can't really refute. And I suppose birthing people as well. Um, you're under a lot of pressure. Sometimes it's your first time being pregnant. The hormones are completely crazy. And, and you also just trust the medical professionals. You just go with what they tell you to do. Um, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, but um, obviously not when it affects you this negatively. Um, and I think 
when I was reading the article, um, I just kept thinking that surely some medical professionals within the NHS were therefore taking advantage of these women to perform unnecessary vaginal examinations um, by using pretenses such as your partner needs to be here or the only way we can assert pregnancy um, or childbirth is through a vaginal examination. So how did they get away with this? And I don't know, maybe I'm taking like the interpretation a little bit far, but um, you know, some of your guidance yeah. might be useful here, please. Yeah, I think a first thing to say is that lots of midwives um, and I'm sure other health professionals I've had most interaction with midwives um, were really uncomfortable with it. They felt that what they were being asked to do was wrong. They felt uncomfortable. Uh, those who were more experienced, perhaps, maybe felt more able to, to act on that discomfort and push back against it. But we know that the NHS is inherently a hierarchical, kind of quite patriarchal hierarchical institution. So for people who feel this sense of, oh, I don't, I don't like that I'm being asked to do it, when you add on the pandemic, when you add on the fear, there might just be the sense of, for lots of people, well, I'm doing it because it's what, what, we, what we do, and I don't know how to do, I don't know how to push back um, against that. So that's one thing I think that's really important to say is that actually I think plenty of people do recognise that it's something troubling, um, in some circumstances, um, and they may or may not feel able to act on that. For others, I think there were a number of things going on that kind of lead to this normalization of uh, protocols or actions like this. And I just want to unpack a few of them, but I want to first just stress again that very few, vanishingly few healthcare professionals go to work wanting to cause harm to their patients and very few go with even feeling indifferent about causing harm. And I really, I recognize that I have not had to go to work in an understaffed labor ward and just try and deal with everything that's happening. Um, but some of the things that I think contribute to the problem, and it is, I can say all of those things, it's still a problem that vaginal exams happen without full and informed um, consent. And it is a problem that needs to be addressed. So I think one thing is that for, a woman or birthing person or for you and I having somebody insert their fingers in our vagina is not a normal thing it is an intimate thing it is a rare thing it is could be quite a shocking thing for a healthcare professional who does that all day every day it becomes really routinized and I think for people it can just be easy to forget that it's not normal for the person receiving the exam and that it's really intimate and therefore that kind of takes some of the sting out of policies like that because we look at them and we think oh that's awful because it's such a invasive intimate thing but if you've lost the kind of shock factor of that then I think that contributes to why people don't immediately recognize it um, as a difficulty. I also think the issue is bound up within kind of very pervasive socio-cultural attitudes that a healthy baby is the most important thing and that any good mother would surely accept a routine intervention in order to ensure that baby is as healthy as possible. And I think not necessarily knowingly, but that sort of thing pervades interactions in healthcare spaces quite often. And when we, when we understand an interaction like that, we can see why it would seem really straightforward to think, well, of course, sure. I'm telling her that a vaginal examination is is the best thing to monitor labor that's the best thing for the baby so of course any 
rational person would accept this. And when that comes in again, you kind of these socio-cultural issues pervade in a way that takes some of that sting or some of that sort of importance out of asking these questions. And there's also a real fear of the law amongst healthcare professionals, amongst, amongst um, midwives, that if something were to go wrong, um, they might be liable for it. And there's a bit of a problematic, and I don't know where the problem has come, but there's this perception that the law will is out to get you and you need to be really careful of not 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 doing things because if you don't do the things then the law might get you but there needs to be that flip side that actually it's just as illegal and unlawful to do things without consent and I so I think that kind of negligence um in terms of oh we didn't do everything we could and then a baby died and what if we get in trouble which must be horrifying um as a fear that fear prevails over well, I have a legal obligation to make sure I ask for consent here. Um, and then lastly, in what I realise is a long list, but I do think these issues are really complicated, is that within a really kind of stressful and under-resourced system, there's a risk of overly rigid and uncritical approaches to protocols and guidelines, because there's just not time to stop and think about, why is our protocol like this? Does it match what I think maternity care should look like you just think well that's what we do um, and I've got to deal with four four other women giving birth uh, this hour and there are two staff members down so I just need to get this person in the ward so I think in these systems sort of efficiency replaces some of this person-centered care just because of the realities of um, maternity care and I think that again leads to this sort of failure amongst some people to really just see what is happening with these policies um, or the kind of unintended consequences and how that might impact um, women and birthing people. Yeah, totally. Thank you for giving us such a comprehensive answer. And I think it's very, very important that you highlight um, that obviously nurses and medical professionals are not there to you know, carry out vaginal examinations that are unnecessary. They're not there to abuse their patients. They are just following the policies. Um, but it's just very unfortunate, obviously, that, you know, the timing of the policies, as we've been discussing, um, has affected uh, birthing people in such a negative way, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. In today's Feminist News Roundup, former head of the Grammys, Neil Portnow, has been accused of rape by an unnamed musician. She is suing him, alleging that she was drugged and that, according to the New York Times, quote, the Recording Academy was negligent in investigating her complaint, end quote. Also in today's news roundup, the U.S. Supreme Court appears to be leaning towards upholding a law that would prevent domestic abusers from being able to own firearms. Meanwhile, in Gaza, Time magazine reports that pregnant women are facing increased difficulties due to lack of access to hospitals in the region. At present, there are reportedly 50,000 pregnant women in Gaza, with more than 160 expected to give birth each day. Finally, in Canada, Peter Nygaard has been found guilty of four sexual assaults after being accused of five, and sentencing is due to take place next week. If you have any suggestions for this podcast, let us know directly via email at contact at feministlaw.org. Please also visit our website at feministlaw.org and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn to keep up to date with our latest articles, podcasts, newsletters, and exciting news. The music for this podcast was sourced from pixabay.com. Thanks for listening.